So hello everybody, another edition of the Remote Work Life Summit and today yet another wonderful guest. I've got Ben Congleton of Olark and Ben, I've been following Ben, I mean I, I tend to follow quite a lot of people online but there's, there's a certain um, criteria of people who I want to get online and really interview them to find out more about their business. Olark is a wonderful um, software application, I guess you could say. It, it helps to build relationships. It helps businesses to grow. And, you know, obviously, in keeping with the, the whole idea of remote work and distributed teams, Ben is a founder and a CEO of one of those. So, and a very successful one, I might add as well. So, as I said, I wanted to get, get him on here to find out more about Olock and to find out more about him, Ben. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, Alex, glad to be here. Excellent. And Ben, as I said, I mean, I know a bit about Olark, but there's there's going to be one or two people out there who who may not know about Olark. So could you tell us a bit more about Olark and how you got to yeah. where you are? Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, if you visit a website recently, you've probably noticed that in the bottom right-hand corner, there's often a little button that says, like, click here to chat. We're one of the first companies to do that. We got that thing started back in 2009. And so uh, a lot of the websites that you visit today have Olark on them. A lot of them have are white-labeled. A lot of them are you know competitors. But more or less, we got that whole craze started. We were, we were the first company that decided, like, hey, chat should be on page. It shouldn't be in a pop-up window. And uh, it, there should be a person there, uh, not, a, not a robot, not like someone in a call center that doesn't understand the business. It should be like someone that works at your company uh, helping to sell the product. Because people have questions before they buy. And it turns out that if you talk to them, when they have these questions quickly and instantly, they're more likely to buy. And so we have uh, over 12,000 businesses using us today. Wow. Uh, we've helped companies like Bonobos grow. We've, uh, Microsoft is a customer and, you know, even really, really small customers like, uh, you know, little, little like plumbing, uh, groups or, uh, real estate management companies. Like you, if you have a website and you have traffic on that website, you need chat on it. You don't have to be there 24 seven. Uh, you can be there just a couple hours of the day. Uh, but you know, you will capture more leads and you will be able to, uh, you know, get more value out of your website by just being there to, answer questions from the people that are on your site. And there's massive value in that. I mean, like you said, it, I, th I saw a statistic the other day that um, the drop-off rate or the bounce rate for um, a website is something like 80 or 90% for a first-time visitor. So I guess you're, 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 you're solving a massive problem for... Well, I think you know, the, the issue is that a lot of people aren't going to pick up the phone when they have a question, and a lot of people like leave without getting their questions answered. And so uh, chat is a place uh, somewhere between, you know, leaving and making a phone call. So we just try to lower that barrier to communicate. And it turns out that this benefits basically any business that sells online. So we have, you know, just sort of such a wide range of customers. But uh, if, you're, if your listeners haven't, haven't tried out chat, I mean, we have, you know, both a free edition and a free trial edition. So my belief is basically if you're, in the business of trying to grow or help your customers, uh, communicating with them is very important. And so chat is sort of how we got started in 2009. I've been really kind of pushing on that, trying to build a really easy, affordable uh, way of 
uh, adding that communication channel to your website. It's massive value. And, uh, and like I said, we only have the best on this, uh, on the Remote Work Life Summit. And that's, as I said, that's why I invited Ben. And one of the pioneers in this whole game. So, I mean, there's so many of them out now, out, out there now, aren't there, Ben? There's so many. Um, chat seems to be a buzzword right now and sort of um, AI and all that sort of thing. And you, you like yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is very interesting. I think right now we're seeing this big uh, revolution where a lot of people think they can replace all the people that work in their organizations and customer service with some sort of AI. Uh, I personally don't believe that's actually a great idea. I think that it has a lot of uh, bad consequences to try to just re replace customer service with a bot uh, you know, NLP is natural language processing is not that great right now. And so I think right now, a lot of people just like have this idea in your, their head that you can just magically make <laughs> customer service automated and not have to pay or employ all these people. But for me, like at Olark, uh, our, our philosophy is much more on like, Hey, you have people working your company, you have people working customer service. How can we with technology make those people 10 times as efficient or help those people, uh, you know, feel 10 times as good about, uh, you know, doing their job every day, going to work every day. And so, uh, you know, the interesting thing about remote work, right, is it's very easy to do customer service remotely. And that if you have the right software in place, uh, you can, you know, do that work from your house, uh, on your couch, you know, uh, you know before, after you take your kids to school, before mm -hmm. they come back. Like, it's a job that really lends itself to remote work. And it's also a job where, I think the human element actually adds quite a bit of value. So, uh, you know, if, if I'm trying to buy a product and I'm trying to buy a product from a bot versus a human being, <laughs> uh, if I'm talking to a bot, I know I'm talking to a bot. I, I, I'm not creating a relationship with this bot. If I'm, if I'm talking to a human, though, like, I, I think you have the opportunity to build a deeper relationship and create uh, a relationship between that person at your company and that shopper uh, that, you know, adds... Uh, brand value, it boosts word-of-mouth referral, it uh, brings insight into your organization because people are now like communicating with customers, not just you know a, a robot trying to deflect <laughs> them from talking to a human. Uh, so uh, from my standpoint, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-humans. I think, I think uh, whenever we're shopping, uh, whenever we're buying something, uh, we want someone who understands what it's like to be a human and uh, has a range of expertise and is not just sort of a fixed script that can answer like a like a couple couple different questions. Yeah, and I think you know, I think we joke about it and we laugh about it, but I think even well, I say even customers who visit websites these days, the lay person who doesn't know anything about AI, they know, don't they? They know it's a robot when 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 a, you know when a automated sequence is is sort of put before them, they already know that, don't they? I mean, whether they know it or not, like if they don't know it, it might even be worse because they just think the person they're dealing True. with is yeah. an idiot. Like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. like, like if they don't like either the, there's two outcomes, right? The outcome is they know it's a bot, which means that they know that the company on the other end doesn't necessarily care about them enough to put a person there to talk to them or they're fooled into thinking <laughs> they're talking to a human being. And then that human being reaches a point where there's an exception in that such that like, you know, the script can't handle the questions they're asking. Yeah. And then the person, uh, then the, you know, the lay, the lay person is just freaking confused because they were having this conversation with this 
great person bot <laughs> thing robot. Yeah. and all of a sudden like it just doesn't compute and it's broken and i think uh you know if, if for any of you who had to try to have like an actual conversation with siri or google now are these like basically the best ais out there yeah you will know that uh there's still a lot of problems in that technology and it's not it's not ready to say like replace replace people the the best implemented bots i've seen are just asking people a couple of questions that are and trying to qualify them for sending them to a salesperson like it's mm -hmm. i i think there is a role for that sort of uh tool but not but but i would put put those tools more on the side of like hey i have more customers reaching out to me than i can possibly handle post-sale Pre-sale, I think you really want to put the opportunity and the time into building those relationships and creating that that brand connection. Post-sale, I can understand if you just want to like drive your costs down. But ultimately, I think there's a lot that you get from having those customer service teams that uh, are like play, things are a little bit hard to attach value to. For example, if you have a you know a customer service per, a person on your team answering questions. Uh, that person actually is gaining quite a bit of customer empathy, Absolutely. and there's someone who, that can be promoted into other roles within your within your organization. Remove that person, replace them with a bot, and try to hire like junior people that you want to bring into your organization and grow into more roles. And uh, you know you may not have other entry level positions that are going to cause them to have such a high level of customer empathy. Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's just a lot. There's a lot kind of like wrapped up in this bot thing. I don't. I don't need to spend the whole interview talking about it. But my <laughs> my general philosophy is like, hey, if you're a small business, you're probably the way that you compete in this industry is is through the relationships, through through your personality, and the better job you can do putting your personality out there, so the people that are engaging with you on your website or meeting you on your website, uh, like feel that human connection, like the better off you're going to be because you can't. You're not going to be able to compete with the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world by out-automating them. I can guarantee you that. Mm -hmm, You're going to have to out-care them and out-human them. And you know that's that's sort of where Olark sits in the in our in our philosophy as we sort of think about like the the chatbot revolution. <laughs> to me, just seems like a a huge opportunity for small businesses to lose or, or to try to save money in a way that causes them to lose what is special about them for their customers. No, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, well, there's, a, there's probably a bit of a, an overemphasis on the whole aspect of AI and its value from that standpoint. I, I Even when I was speaking to, I speak to Derek Anderson of um, Startup Grind, and he was saying literally the same thing as you, that it's all about, you know, building those relationships, um, communication that that's that's human and is relevant and you know is meaningful that's what's going to grow grow a business that's what's going you know that insight that you get from those conversations and right I, 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 how i mean you got to a point where this this was your this has been your big thing olark is your big thing how did you get to to the point of knowing that olark is the was the direction that you wanted to take your career <laughs> That's a really good question. I love that question. Uh, you know, I think I, I've done a bunch, lot of interviews on this, so I don't need to like go into a ton of detail. But like, if you look at like, uh, I don't know, like uh, there, I, there's a good mixture G interview where I kind of go into a lot of detail. There's a, 
uh, I think Groove HQ has a pretty good interview with me talking about uh, sort of some of the, the decisions there. I think I'll, I'll give you like the really short answer because I don't want to like spend the whole interview on that. Well, well uh, stuff, so, that will, stuff that will help our audience out, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I think like for me, I am not someone who like sits down and says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put a man on the moon or something like that. Like I don't like build these like really long term plans. I think the way that I ended up sort of running Olark and it ended up being something that was uh, really important to me is just sort of a, a general philosophy about how like I want to start a business. And like right when, right when I started this thing, like kind of before it was like, I, we might've gotten into Y Combinator or maybe a little bit before Y Combinator, I wrote this post and it was basically a blog post about how, uh, what I really wanted to do was to build a company where I could hang out with my friends, building something amazing and helping people. Like that was, that's sort of core to, I think, who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, uh, and I think that prior to Olark, I had another company, like there was a web hosting company slash uh, consulting firm. And I was kind of getting a little bit of that, that need fulfilled. Uh, but then when we started Olark and it was, you know, just like three or four of us, yeah, it was just like a couple friends hanging out, trying to like make this thing into reality. And as we've scaled and, and grown it, I, I think that dream has really stayed alive. I think, uh, uh, building this really great team with this really great culture and, uh, tackling challenges that are important to the world and important to our customers is, uh, a really easy way to kind of stay energized and want to come to work every day. Mm -hmm. And I think like, for me, anyway, there's this idea of live chat, like Olark live chat. And that's to me, that is just a piece. That is a very small piece of like the total set of problems that we're interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, it turned out that like at the beginning, there was this big opportunity to build and kind of invent the way that chat worked on websites, right? So like we sort of invented the way that people have grown to engage with websites. And that's awesome. It's awesome to like kind of invent something and see it taken far further than you could even take it. And I think like that's sort of what we've seen recently with all the new companies spawning up and their new takes on this and their new uh, approaches. Uh, I, I think that our approach of being a very human-centric, like kind of focusing on the agent and growing them is going to work for like a lot of businesses, but it's not going to work for everyone. Like if you're trying to drive costs all the way down, like you're, you're going to put some automation there uh, and you'll figure it out. But we'll focus on the guys who want sort of the higher value from mm -hmm. their customers. Like the more valuable customers, um, but that said, I think what we've what I've realized over the years is really the thing that makes me very excited is this idea of making business human. So both the idea of uh, sort of helping businesses connect uh, with each other as people as humans, and then also uh, building software that kind of emphasizes what people do really well. So. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of technologists who build software uh, because they love technology and they love mm -hmm. to just like build this cool tech. I think at Olark, we've really like the thing that we're excited about is like helping people. And so like the cool tech is just like a way in which we can help people. Sure. And, uh, you know, if you think about the org we've built and our set of values, uh, that that's sort of what I'm excited about. I'm like excited about sort of giving value systems to more businesses so they can build cultures uh, that really care about their employees or, you know, giving value systems to make remote work easier for other people to adopt. Like if we can hand you a handbook and you can take remote work and you can make it work 
and you can make it work the way we did because I think that our, our team feels very empowered. Our team feel like cares a ton about where they work, and they feel absolutely trusted. And I think that uh, you know maybe Olark isn't ourselves as a business is not going to scale to employ every remote worker. But heck, if we can give some guidance to those other companies employing remote workers, uh, I think that would be a really great way to make impact and to make more businesses more human and more caring. Uh, so yeah, there's a. Uh, so I guess like your your original question of how did I arrive here? I started off uh, just wanting a place where I could hang out with my friends, building cool stuff, and then I realized that uh, I sort of wanted to figure out how you could scale that and bring that to more people who weren't just working at Olark. And uh, you know, our our levers were pretty good at building products, and we're pretty good at uh, kind of thinking big and empowering teams, and. Uh, as long as I can keep doing that, I'm having a good time. So uh. sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. And well, I, I love a lot. I'm making notes, by the way, as, as you're talking. So, <laughs> so I'm remembering sure. all these questions I've got. I'm, the more you're talking, the more questions that are coming to my mind. So, Definitely. but that you talk about, um, you know, you, the software being just a, a part of the actual grand scheme of things. But and uh, you, you mentioned remote work. Was remote work something that was, or uh, putting together a remote team, something de- a deliberate part of that whole plan of yours? Yeah, it's funny, right? Because we're known as this remote company. Like, we get, like, so many job applicants for our, for our position. It's, like, amazing. But, like, at the beginning, in the early days of this thing, I had run a remote company prior. So my web hosting company I ran prior to this was remote. And... Uh, for Olark, we're thinking about trying something different. We're going we're going to build a non-remote company, okay. and that worked basically up until we tried to hire our first employee and we had no money. And so we we uh, we were in Silicon Valley. We didn't raise any money. We couldn't afford to get. I, I guess we did have one guy working for us for a bit, but then he left because people were paying way better than we could, even though oh, he loved wow. us. Like, but but we just like literally couldn't afford to pay people. Uh, what they needed to make in that area. Uh, and so we hired a, a college friend of mine as employee number one who was living in a much cheaper area. And I knew he was solid. I knew he'd be a great teammate. Um, and so we we took away, he had like an hour commute, like a, maybe a two hour commute every day. Wow. We took that away. He got to work from home. Uh, changed his life. And, uh, and even then, even then, we weren't ready to go remote. We're still like, oh, well, you know, we'll make acceptance here and there. But, like, we really just don't want to be remote. So we built out kind of a customer service team in-house, like, at, like in California. Uh, and then we tried to hire marketing. We're like, oh, we can't find anyone for marketing. Uh, oh, there's this guy in Toronto. We'll hire him. <laughs> we're like, oh, no, but we're still remote. We're still not remote. And we were like, keep, keep kind of, like... And then one co-founder moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and yeah. we're like, okay, we'll have two offices. We'll have one office, in, <laughs> we'll have one office in California, we'll have one office in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we'll have these a couple of exceptions kicking around their work remote. But for the most part, we're going to be a old school bricks and mortar, <laughs> bricks and mortar company. And then uh, we were trying to hire for DevOps, and we were having the hardest. We we're like, we want DevOps in an East Coast time zone so that they'll be closer to Europe, uh, and we want them in Ann Arbor because that's where it would make sense based on like where we are. Uh, where everyone's located mm-hmm. and we try to hire for this position and by this point we had a couple of people in our Ann Arbor office a couple of people in San Francisco I think we may have only had we probably had two maybe two remote employees at that time uh, and and at that point I looked forever trying to hire someone like for DevOps in Michigan and 
we found this guy in Brooklyn and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about moving somewhere. Maybe, uh, maybe I could move to Michigan. We're like, ah, oh, that's good enough. We'll hire this guy. <laughs> and, uh, after that hiring process, we were just like, screw it. Like we're going to hire remote. We can get really good people remote. We're not going to care about where they're located. Uh, we spent like way too long trying to make that hire. And I think, uh, that was the real moment for me where it, where remote had gone from like, Oh, this is kind of like a bonus. Like if we find really good people and they don't want to move, we can hire them remote. It's like, no, we're just going to focus remote from here on out. And we may find people in offices or not, but we're not going to like put that, uh, restriction on where they are. Now, uh, for the most part, that's true. I think there was one position where we were hiring it and we wanted it to be like in San Francisco because it was a design position and the person mm-hmm. who was going to work with it uh, really wanted to collaborate in person. Uh, that, that, that was a co-founder of mine, but he's no longer with the company. So like that was, that was the last position we posted that actually had a location on it. And that, from, and that was a couple of years ago. And from there on out, like we're, we're pretty remote. Actually, this year, um, this year we still have a lease on an empty office in Michigan. Oh my god! Anyone, anyone needs an empty office in Michigan, we totally got your office, and you know, huge discount on rent. Uh, Excellent. But where that lease runs out, uh, I think in March. But we basically will will have no physical locations at the end of uh, by March of next year. So as of March next year, we'll be a hundred percent remote company. With, with well, I mean, in the sense like we've all well, we been hundred percent. Oh, so we're still this lease we're paying for for an office that no one went to, but like, yeah. So that that's been happening for a while. I mean, we've been, I would argue, we've probably been 100 percent remote for many years. We just like rented some empty office space that people would occasionally show up to. <laughs> and you you mentioned uh, your team. You were talking about your team, Ben. DevOps, customer service. What's the what's the breakdown? Is it, are there more elements to your team? I'm sure there are. Well, I mean. You know, it's a standard software company, right? So you have marketing. Uh, we never really built out sales because our price point was more turnkey. Um, you know, really big customer service team. Like we invested uh, very strongly in customer service. I think uh, our belief is that customer service sort of does sales, sort of does customer success. And uh, generally, these are the people that uh, kind of live and breathe the passion of your company all the time. So finding really good people there uh, is excellent. Uh, and then, you know, engineering, product team, just normal, I guess, PMs, designers. Uh, I, don't think I don't think there's anything abnormal about the way Olark is structured. No. But yeah, you, I suppose you'd expect that customer service would be a, an important, important part of your company. Yeah, I think part of that uh, is interesting. I think part of the reason we went so hard on customer service at the beginning is that when I'd ran the web hosting company prior we had underinvested in customer service and it had caused problems. And uh, what basically happened is like the owners were doing all the customer service. Then we hired staff to do customer service for us, which is just, you know, like some college buddies looking for like part-time jobs. And those guys just really didn't do as good of a job as, uh, as we had done and didn't care as much as we did. And so I thought, think that, um, well, actually in the early days, of Olark, we all did customer service. So we did a rotation where every person on the team would do customer service, uh, like one day a week or a couple hours a week or whatever. And then uh, eventually, when we decided, uh, I mean, even when we hired a customer service team, we still kept doing that, where everyone on the team would go around and do it. And it wasn't until 
a couple of years in that we decided operationally we needed to sort of take all hand support, which was operationally, which meant everyone on the team was doing customer service. Mm-hmm. We had to, uh, we wanted that to no longer be a requirement. We wanted it to be so that so that we could have the customer service team could handle all the customer service load, and it was a bonus if other people went and did their all hands mm-hmm. support shifts. And so uh, that transition happened over you know a couple of years, probably mm-hmm. uh, just sort of going from having everyone do customer service as part of their job, like where it was needed for them to do it. To where everyone did customer service optionally, just because like we had built this culture where everyone did customer service and they could hop on and like you know dog through the new release they made or just see how customers were reacting to something by hopping on to chat and uh, just doing a support shift. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that you get lots of applications, right? Um, what for uh, you? Not for that. Sorry. Is that okay? Yeah, uh, sorry. Right. I was just. Um, you you were saying that you get lots of applications and. Well, yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. Um, what with all, with that being bomb, you know, with you being bombarded with applications, what what really stands out for you, or what? How can somebody really stand out if they are applying to you, either to a job that is um, posted or a speculative yeah. application? Yeah, that's a really good question. So. I used to run hiring for a while, but we hired someone uh, who is so much, so much better than I am at it that it's fantastic. So uh, Mandy is probably the person who could best answer that question. Okay. But I could try to like give you a sense for it, right? So to get in the door, you have to understand that it's a pretty competitive process. So you know, whatever position you're applying for, just assume that we're going to get a lot of applicants for it. So. Uh, Put in the time, you know, polish your resume. We normally ask pre-screening questions at the beginning. Uh, Put in the time. Like, don't just, like, go to our website and just see these pre-screening questions and just kind of, like, knock out answers really (laughs) quick. Take take the time to take those pre-screening questions. Put them in a Google Doc. Write good answers to them. Uh, You know, get get your friends to give you feedback. Uh, I mean, you could even probably email us and ask for feedback on some of those pre-screening questions too. Okay. Uh, uh, like I bet, I bet Mandy would probably give you a little bit of time, probably if you sent, sent us something. So like, you know, take the time. Uh, uh, you know, we have chat on our website. You could stop by, you can ask questions there. Uh, I think generally speaking to get an interview, right. To just get past a resume screen, like one, you got to have a resume and, a set of answers to our yeah. screening questions that yeah. makes sense, right? Like, even if you're the most passionate person in the world, you're probably like, we have enough applicants. So there's lots of passionate people in that applicant pool. I bet. So, like, we can't we can't let one the, one passionate person who's done like all this extra work who's not qualified is probably not going to make it through. I mean, every once in a while we'll wildcard someone. So, if you went out and did something crazy, like built something cool with our API, or like create a video, or just kind of went. So, like, kind of over the top other uh, over other applicants, you probably would stand out and, like, you probably get interviewed. Like, basically, our hiring process is kind of, like, standard uh, and it will wildcard people every once in a while just to get them into the, into the funnel because sometimes those people can be amazing. But generally speaking, you know, having a resume and the answer to our screening questions is the way to do it. And mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, if you can wow us some way that we haven't seen before, you'll probably get an interview. Uh, but, like... During that interview, 
if you're not qualified to do the job, like, like you can spend all this time doing something awesome and then just, like, bomb the interviews. You'll get so found out. But, but, like, you know, like, <laughs> that might help you in the future when you're applying for another job that you are qualified for because, you know, we'll remember that being wild that one time. So, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, yeah, so that's that's how you get – that's how you get a phone call. Uh, and then uh, once you get the phone call – uh, you know, Mandy would probably screen and make sure that like you were, like I said, like, you know, generally qualified for a position. You understand what it was and, uh, you know, could communicate clearly with us. And, mm-hmm. and then, uh, for most of our positions, we have homework, uh, that we give you. We'll like say like, Hey, go like do this work for us. And we'll generally give you like an Amazon gift card or something like that in exchange. Cause we know this stuff takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after someone does the homework, uh, we'll read over every single homework that comes in. Uh, and you know, if you get to homework stage, it means like you got a shot getting the job. Basically, <laughs> like we don't give basically at every phase, we're cutting people out. Like we only want to basically be looking at people who could can potentially be hired. Like there's no, like there's no like, Oh, like uh, we're feeling nice. We're just going <laughs> to like, no, we don't do that at all. It's, it's all like very, <laughs> Very scientific. Like, if, if you're doing work for us, you get a shot at getting it. And so, um, we turn people down as early in the process as we think, uh, as we can, just so no one was wasting any of their time. Uh, and, you know, do the homework. We'll evaluate the homework and generally have sort of a, like, a, we call them technical interviews, but they're basically, like, reviewing the homework plus, like, kind of diving into sort of the technical skills required for the job. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we do a culture interview, which is where, uh, you know, assuming at that point, we assume basically you can do the job. You sure. pass the technical interview, you can do the job. The culture interview um, uh, is where we uh, talk about our values. Because Olek is a very values-driven company. I love that. And yeah. uh, we want... We don't. We're not like looking for people that look that fit any individual mold, but uh, generally speaking, the people that get hired are, are engaged on some level with our values. Uh, like they can't sort of view company values as sort of like bullshit, uh, and and that would come across in the in the cultural the cultural interview. It's like you have to kind of be bought into what we're trying to do at the company, uh, and then. You know, we'll give you an opportunity to talk about the value that you feel like uh, you uh, will be the best at exemplifying, the value you think you'd be the worst at exemplifying, and have like kind of a real, real conversation. And if that goes, if that goes well, uh, we'll take the like the best couple of people from that round, and we'll bring them in and have them work remotely for us uh, for a day, and we'll pay them for the whole day, mm-hmm. uh, uh, consulting rate, and. Uh, you know, basically give you a day in the life working at Olark. And Sounds if good. you you ace that, you get a job. <laughs> Bingo. Is it easy as that, eh? And yeah, I, no problem. <laughs> no, it's it's good. It's, it's great. And I mean, there's quite a lot there. I mean, I'd, I'd love to. Can you give us any clues as to what's in the homework at all? I mean, it's, it's specific to the job role. I mean, okay. just a matter, like if Fair you're like good. a director of marketing, which you've recently been hiring, like your homework looked like, Here's a bunch of data that's not necessarily exactly Olark's data, but is like close enough to give you a sense for what the job will be like. Give us your like 90-day plan and your 180-day plan, and uh, state any assumptions that you need, any questions you need answered. Like a pretty like thoughtful 
kind of assignment, but that's for a more of a higher level. For a CS person, actually, I'm not sure what the what the homework looks like there. My guess is that pro if it's been iterated on a long time since I worked on the hiring process, but probably in the early days, what we would do is uh, give you a uh, like a couple of example customer situations and have you uh, sort of write the emails that you would write back to them, and uh, or maybe that type of thing. And you talked about the culture element of the um, of the interview. How do because it's it's really it's quite difficult, I think, to actually convey culture or to mm -hmm. kind of express it so it doesn't sound contrived. You know, sure. how do you do that? Well, I think in our case, uh, yeah, it, you raise a good point. I think that a lot of people like there. There was this old term or culture fit. It's like, oh, like if someone was on the in the office on Friday, you'd go grab a beer with them or something like that. Yeah. And I think that that is actually like a pretty dumb, like pretty <laughs> stupid way of looking at culture. I think that that's a good way of determining if someone should be in your frat, maybe, or if like they want, or like if this person might be a, your friend. Yeah, but like you're not. You're not trying to hire for friends necessarily, right? Like, yeah, I mean, ideally you can get along with like most people. So, like, anyone can be your friend, but like, you're not trying to like optimize for this is like the most likely to be my friend kind of person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it all our, our culture and views have over, have, uh, you know, evolved over time. Uh, in the early days, a lot of, uh, we cared a lot about conflict styles because when you're working remotely, uh, it's harder to assess whether uh, you're doing all right if you are like not, uh, not prone to conflict. Like if you're a conflict avoider, it's easier for you to have conflict and not talk about it and yeah. not deal with it. Mm -hmm. So uh, in some of our earlier interviews, we would ask kind of like some conflict-related questions and try to understand uh, how how people would deal with conflict like uh, you know like looking at like unresolved conflict was always a red flag mm -hmm. there uh, I don't think that's in our current batch of uh, direct we probably do that in a more indirect way now uh, in the and I think I kind of alluded this a bit like we give people the opportunity to review our values uh, there's a lot uh, written about them on our website and you can read you know just search the internet Olark values there's this stuff is comes up all over the place and uh we want people who you know kind of take the time to understand what we're about and most of most job candidates at that stage understand what we're about and uh, the way that we look at culture fit is uh we have our our champs core values right mm -hmm. chill uh help each other assume good faith make it happen practice empathy and speak your mind and so uh, we look for people that who want who value those same attributes, mm -hmm. and so on the culture interview, uh, we look at how you communicate about those values, and you know the things that you say and how uh, the questions you ask us, how you engage, mm -hmm. uh, and that's generally like a, it, it. Generally, I'd say most people like do really like it's not. It's not that hard of an interview to pass, mm -hmm. but you'd be surprised at how many people, like, it turns out it's just not a good fit. Because, you know, you're interviewing each other, right? And, uh, and you know, our, our company's not for everyone. And uh, it's, you know, it's a chance for, uh, you know, those people that are considering working at Olark to, like, ask 
questions of of the people that that work at Alark. Of course, and see see how see how it feels, you know. So, uh, I mean, uh, um, you can think of it as kind of like a thoughtful discussion about our values is is a way of looking at our uh, the culture interviews and think, expecting you know, some self reflection from the candidate. I think a lot of people struggle with that actually, Ben. In terms of that, you mentioned that it's a conversation. The interviews a conversation a two-way flow of information. I think a lot of people believe that, you know, or struggle in some way to actually ask a question in return to something that you might have asked them, if you see what I mean. They think that they need to leave all the questions to the end and it's, you know, it's it's kind of a bit of an old-school way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a just a challenge, right? Because yeah. interviews are socially constructed and people kind of have a way in which they expect sure. them to work. And I mean, I think that's okay. Uh, I mean, the, in our interviews, we probably have some prompts for them to ask us questions. So like, it's not like we're, it's like a conversation where we're giving you the floor, right? To go yeah, to have, like, talk. Uh, and then those questions at the end, uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned like a lot of people say a lot of questions at the end. Well, certainly... Those questions at the end are super freaking important in hiring. So, uh, I mean, if you are a candidate, right, like, make sure you have some good questions. Of then. course. I mean, yeah. You can go, make, like, make a list of questions before you walk into the interview, like, honestly, because, like, you know who you're meeting with. You can look them up on LinkedIn. You are about like you're trying to work at this place for at least a couple of years <laughs> you better have like this is a this is a thoughtful process and you better yeah. have some thoughtful questions Absolutely. to bring into this uh like even if you already know the answers like just confirm you actually know the answer because sometimes people don't give you the answer you're expecting and i think as on top of that well a lot of people it's not just i suppose the interview process but even when it comes to applying, you get, obviously, I'm sure you've seen this, a lot of people are just really spraying and praying and sort of sending out this, their resume here and hoping that one of them will stick and not necessarily reading what's on the website, the values, and connecting their values in their application or their interview with, with yours in many yeah. ways. So they're clearly not sort of read and understood everything. Yeah, it's hard. I think it's, it's definitely hard as a candidate to... Uh, to find the right place. I mean, I, I think, you know, just looking at our candidate pool, right? Like there's probably many, many people that could do the job when, you know, like 300 people apply and our process isn't, isn't perfect. You know, like we're, we're not necessarily trying to get the best person out of the process because like to get the best person, you might need a process that takes longer than is business feasible. Mm -hmm. What you're trying to get is a candidate in the top 5% or so. And so, like, you have to imagine that hiring processes are designed both for the candidate and for the company. The company needs to fill the position at, at some speed or else they wouldn't have posted the position. Sure. And so uh, everyone's trying to come up with the optimal way of getting, like, sort of the, the best result they can in a fixed amount of time and a fixed amount of effort. Mm -hmm. And from a job candidate perspective, uh I think the strat the spray and pay pray strategy is probably not an optimal strategy for what you're trying to do. Now, uh, there's a lot of factors at play in what the optimal strategy might be for you. I mean, if you are, you know, if you have a killer resume, for example, uh, then probably you can just pick a couple of companies and reach out to them and talk to them, and they'll more or less 
interview you and you can interview them. If you don't have a killer resume, then you're in a tougher situation and you have to, uh, you know, I think one thing that good hiring managers will do is when you reach out to a company and just figure out who their like HR recruiter people are, just set up an, they're called informational interviews. Just talk Mm -hmm. to those people and understand what they're looking for. And, you know, if, if your set of skills is not great or not perfect for that job, and that's, you know, in your mind, this is like the perfect job for you, I think a good thing to do is to ask the hiring manager, like, hey, like, you know, I know I eventually want to end up here, but like, what do you think I should be doing at this point in my career that's going to help me get here, get there in the future? Excellent. And I think that if you can build that plan a few steps out, it makes it uh, more tractable to, you know, end up at those places that you're really excited to end up at. Rather than just like, oh, I'm going to spray and play and I'm mm-hmm. just going to end up like wherever I can right now. Mm-hmm. I think if you had a little bit more intentionality around it, you could be like, you know what I should be doing right now? I should be going back to school because like I need to have like X and a Y or I need to go find like a company that has a really good training program or something like that so that I can add that to my resume so that when I show up for the next interview, mm-hmm. Like I will have really great answers for those four questions that I, you know, just literally I just didn't know those things. And so, do, you, do you tend Ben to hire um, more experienced candidates, or do you like to nurture, or is it just a mixture of? It's of the it's above? such a freaking. It's I, I like hiring for uh, aptitude. I like smart people. I like people who show that they can learn, and we basically do our best to ignore resume after you pass resume screen. So like we tend to not show people people's resume later in the process because from our standpoint, once you pass resume screen, you've passed resume screen. Mm -hmm. So we feel like you can do the job. Once you pass technical interview, you pass like, you know, your technical skills are good enough. And now it's just how you perform during the interviews. Like that's, that's the way that we sort of do it. Like, and like I said, we try to narrow that down as you go through the process because like, we don't, we don't want like a lot of people hanging out in the process in limbo who couldn't, who wouldn't get the job if they didn't like excel at the next step. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, we have a lot of like really, I mean, we're a relatively small company, right? But we have, uh, you know, there's an engineer who works at Olark who has a master's degree in social work. Uh, we have a lot of people who, uh, either don't have, like, who have non-standard college degrees, some people didn't graduate from college, like, we try to, uh, uh, you know, other other experiences substitute for schooling, like, we, we're, we have a lot of smart people, we have some smart people who have really freaking good resumes, and we have some smart people who have uh, horrible resumes, and, uh, you know, I mean, after you add Olark on there, the resume is fantastic. <laughs> you know, like when they're hired, uh, their resume might not have looked that great for yeah, some of the positions yeah. we were going. So, uh, at least for us, we we're always always willing to look a little bit past like what school you went to, or you know, what degree your college was in, or if you went to college and stuff like that. So, I love that. Uh, and and on the position basis, uh, I mean, it just depends on the position. I mean, if we're hiring for a senior position, it's more we're more likely to look at experience, mm-hmm. or like you know, if if you're have less experience and you're applying for a junior position, you're gonna have to work harder mm-hmm. uh, to prove to us that you have the expertise. But you're gonna be asked because you're gonna be asked the exact same question as a person who has more experience. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, do you have like, I mean, obviously the, the, the core of your business is communication and, you know, like I said to you before, build, like you said before, building relationships. How, how do you, I don't know, obviously the interview will, will give you a, a good, a good steer as to the sort of how, how the person listens, et cetera, and that sort of thing. But are there any other indicators to you of, of somebody who could be really good in your customer service team, for example? Well, I, I think the interesting thing about the interview, right, is there, is, it, is remote communication. Like, for example, homework is written. The uh, application is written. The uh, communication with Mandy, who runs hiring, is all written. Uh, so we're, we're evaluating your communication as well as, like, throughout the interview, right? Sure. Like, it, it's a mix of written and verbal communication throughout the whole process. And so... Uh, that that does tell us stuff, especially like when we do a day in the life working day. Like we'll understand how people kind of in, are going to engage with their coworkers and uh, their communication styles. And you know, the interesting thing is we have a mix of extroverts and introverts at Olark. I would think more people are probably more introverted, a little bit more quiet on average. And you know, some of these situations are hard for those people, or in uh, uh, well, it can be hard for those people. And we try to do our best to build like a a pretty inclusive process. I mean, you know, for for any position, right? The modern day modern day society requires kind of this face to face interview as part of uh, part of the hiring process. Like, it, I don't. I'm on. I mean, WordPress. I think has a chat back and forth hiring process, more or less. That uh, is, sounds pretty awesome, but it's not something we've we've tried ourselves because we we do end up doing a lot of like verbal communication at Olark. So, like, when we're having an interview like this, it's uh, it's not just for fun. It's it's because like we need verbal communication as an important skill uh, at Olark, given the way that our company is organized. And uh, so, I guess yeah. I mean, I don't really have any great advice for how to stand out during that process. I think that probably taking a little bit of extra time to polish written communication is always a good step mm -hmm. uh just because the like i think typically it's easier like you can polish written communication you can't really polish verbal communication sure. you can take a few more seconds you know yeah. to pose to think about your thoughts but but you just have the opportunity to spend a little bit more time making sure you're communicating clearly when it's written mm -hmm. and uh, any particular peak periods when you're hiring is there any particular times a year when you hire most and yeah that's a good question uh I don't think there's a particular period of time when we hire the most. I mean, generally, when we have a position, we post it, we promote it. And, uh, you know, we're a small business. We're, like, roughly 30 people. So, like, we're not going to be able to hire, like, tons and tons of, of uh, people. I mean, that would be – and we are bootstrapped. So one thing that would be kind of cool for raising money is you could go hire lots of people. But that's not really, like, our, our MO. Uh, yeah, I don't I – don't, generally speaking, like, our quarters are a little bit – Want their little offsets, so like our Q1 starts in February, mm -hmm. and so like you can just kind of follow that calendar around the year and kind of assume that uh, most hiring decisions are going to be made before the start of the quarter before we post a job. So, like, you, you can think, like, sure. okay, well, it's probably more likely that we're going to post a job in say March than post a job in. January, because January is the end of the quarter and March is the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like the first month or 
you know, February is like the beginning of the quarter. So, mm-hmm. so much, much more likely that, that the jobs are going to be posted at the beginning of a quarter, uh, beginning of an OLAC quarter than the end of an OLAC quarter, just because, you know, unless, yeah, that's, that's generally speaking the pacing, but it, probably if you go look at our historical job uh-huh. listings, it could be interesting to know how well that matches up. It varies. Right. Okay. So, um, somebody's got through the interview process. They, you know, you've got an onboarding process. You, you put you pull that into place as well, and tools yeah. that you use as well. Yeah, I mean, we put just as much work in the. I mean, interviewing is just the beginning of the process, right? Sure, you exactly. bring you're bringing in remote people. You need them to feel like they're part of the team, and uh, our onboarding process takes. Uh, for most most positions, at least two weeks of just work, very very onboarding focused work. So you know, meeting your team, understanding the tools, understanding how to work at Olark, how to work remotely. Uh, but you know, in a way, we're always we're all always onboarding, right? You're always like kind of learning and growing and upping your game, and so that that doesn't really uh, stop. Okay, and for you, I. We're coming close to the end now. We are, I know. <laughs> you've, you've given us a lot of time. Thank you, Ben. What, yeah. do you, what do you see? What's the future for, for Olark? And, you know, how do you see, yeah, what's the, where's your future lie? Yeah, sure. Well, I think, uh, you know, at the beginning of this call, I kind of talked about this a little bit. I think uh, if you look at Olark's mission, our mission is to make business human. And uh, we have this live chat product right now that exists in a world where, a lot of uh, competition, I think, is very focused on automation and AI. And so I think what you'll see is Olark really, really championing uh, the automation side that really helps humans perform better. I think like where, where we're trying to focus is, uh, you know, how do we help you uh, bring your full self to work every day? How do we make sure that you are, uh, you know, in a position where you can grow so you're incentivized to do a good job every day, right? So we're we're going to be the the live chat company that sort of takes some of the values we've built internally and encode them into our product in a way that makes our product quite a bit different from what some other competitors are building. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the future of the live chat product. At the same time, we have this broader mission, and uh, we see our mission as sort of this, this championing this idea of business humanity. So you'll see us launch a couple of new products that are designed to kind of help people uh, sort of be the best that they can be. So like, uh, you know, really looking at things that, that people do well and help them do it even better. So an example of this is a product that uh, we're about to launch probably in, in January. It's called Dino Insights. And it's a product that helps you uh, pull uh, insight out of interviews. So, for example, uh, a lot of product managers, uh, journalists, podcasters uh, do interviews like constantly as part of their job. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people inside product organizations and software companies actually avoid doing interviews all the time because they feel like it's too much work or they don't know how to get value out of it. And so, our our thinking is that more people should be doing interviews, and that uh, in doing interviews that most people could get more insight and learn more from those interviews if they had tools that help them uh, structure their thinking. And so uh, the first product here is just a product that helps you conduct verbal remote interviews and pull insights out of it Mm -hmm. and store those insights for later consumption to share within your org. 
because another thing that often happens with interviews is that uh, they get lost or they exist like just in a user researcher's like local computer mm -hmm. or like spread out around Google Drive and they're just they're messy and you might end up with a report here and there but it's really hard to go back to the source materials so a lot of uh, so, one, so again, one product, helping people do better interviews to mm -hmm. get better insight, to build better products, to just sort of generally learn faster. And uh, I think it's one product that will be launched in January. And then another product that we're working on is taking a lot of our philosophy around customer service and turning it into uh, a set of courses that people can use to uh, sort of learn and think about customer service the wow. way that we think about customer service and the way it's sort of helped us build the successful company. And uh, we think this is great for a couple of reasons. Like one reason is, uh, I mean, quite honestly, a lot of customer service training out there is crap and it's, it's just not modernized for, uh, you know, what it means to be kind of an enlightened customer service person. Sure. Like if you think about most call center jobs, they're basically set up for, you know, you handle rote stuff. If you're really good, maybe you get promoted to manage a bunch of other people handling rote stuff. And uh, we want to help people reframe that role of customer service. And it's something that really helps produce insight. Uh, it helps produce, uh, you know, employees that can move up and grow within that organization who really understand that company's customer. Mm -hmm. And uh, in many ways, customer service can be a profit center. And I think a lot of times it's framed as a cost center. So it's, it's sort of courses that help uh, reframe the philosophy of customer service and not just like, yeah, here's how you deal with an unhappy customer or whatever. It's, you know, there, there are elements of like, how do, you, how do you take care of yourself as someone whose you know, main job is uh, expressing empathy all mm -hmm. the time, like uh, so. So we've we've launched that course kind of internally. We've done a uh, a beta with a couple of other companies, and they've uh, found it to be really good. So that'll be uh, cleaned up a little bit and relaunched uh, probably in 2019. So that'll be that'll be really cool too. So so I think uh, you can think of Olark. And the way that I like to think about Olark is if uh, Fog Creek was sort of this developer-centric mm -hmm. incubator for all these great ideas. They helped spun out Trello, they helped spun out Stack Overflow. Yeah. Many people have never heard of Fog Creek. And uh, I want Olark to sort of be like the Fog Creek of human-centered business, focusing on like the problems, the areas where humans are really good at and helping humans doing those, doing those jobs even better. And so uh, I think where we're trying to go is to be able to take that core business of Olark, live chat, grow it, but also spin out these really interesting solutions to other problems and hopefully inspire more entrepreneurs to, you know, take AI and figure out how it can make humans like a ton better rather than just replace humans. Cause I feel like, uh, one is a lot more fun for all of us. <laughs> well, Ben, you're inspiring me. You've inspired me to even be on this call with you today. And I just wanted to say, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. You've given so much yourself today. Thank you. And yeah, we'll be keeping a lookout for, uh, for Dino Insight and um, your your other product um, yeah, later yeah. in the year as well. So thank you for so sure. much for joining Alex, us. Alex, it's been fun. <laughs>